on this edition of the Cubs Recap Podcast, the presentation of our YouTube channel and available everywhere you get your audio-only versions of your favorite podcast. Gordon Whitmire and I talk Shohei Otani, who was amazing against the White Sox on Tuesday night. What are the chances he is a Cub? What could that cost? Plus, I'm hearing the Cubs all in at the deadline to try and win the NL Central and maybe more. Welcome into our Cubs Recap Podcast here on our Recap YouTube channel. I'm David Kaplan with my partner, Gordon Wittenmeyer. Follow him at GWMLB. He's all over the National League Central and the Cincinnati Reds, as well as the Cubbies and everybody else in Major League Baseball. You can also get our podcast anywhere you get your audio-only versions of your favorite podcast. All right, Gordon, let's get started. Cubs went to London, split two games with the Cardinals. Uh, blowout 9-1, to one, and then lost after having a 4 nothing lead because their first baseman, and to his credit, after the game said, I cost us the game. You're damn right you did, Trey Mancini. I don't ever <laughs> want to see him playing first base again. Agree? Oh, yeah, especially after watching that fiasco. That that was brutal. And and it's, uh, you know, it's not like it's shortstop or catcher. It's not the most difficult position on the field to handle. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, move them off there. Put anybody over there. Put Madrigal over there. Put, put Bellinger over there. Put somebody else in the outfield. Yeah, I think Mancini, look, he has a player option for next year at $7 million. So he's not opting out. No chance. So he's going to be here. And he's an okay offensive player. In the game where he was so bad at first, Gordon, he hits one off the wall to drive in early runs. And you think, oh, offensively, decent ball player. But he can't play first base. He almost got Mark Leiter Jr. killed last week. And then he has this screw-up that costs them the ball game uh, in London. So as you look at the current construction of the Cubs, I'm being told by people I trust that they are absolutely green-lighted to spend money and to try and see if they can win this lousy NL Central because they believe, and rightly so, that if they were to get into postseason – they feel like our starting staff gives us a chance. We have got to augment one bat, maybe Jamer Candelario, and one or two bullpen arms. Do you agree? Well, I would say bullpen arms before I would say a bat or a third baseman. Uh, they've got the rotation right now that certainly should be able to win this division and maybe do damage in October, especially the way some of the juggernaut superstar paid teams are doing, you know, the Mets and they fell off the, the map. Uh, Padres are struggling. They have a losing record, you know, so these teams that spent all this money and look at the Dodgers, right? The Dodgers have had some injuries. They didn't spend a lot of money this off season, but they've still got that, that team in place, that pitching staff, and they've had some, some adversity and some injuries. The National League is there. And, you know, this is me talking. But the way that rotation has pitched, I've, I've said it forever. It's the pitching, the pitching, the pitching. I mean, that's uh, nothing new. Um, the fact that they've got it there. I mean, people are complaining about Jameis and Tyone. Look at the other four guys. And then I want you to tell me what other team in baseball has four guys going 
like Stroman, Smiley, Steele, and Hendricks. I don't see them. I mean, even the teams above them in the rotation rankings, the Rangers, DeGrom's out, right? Uh, the, the, the Astros, they've got significant guys out. I just saw them. They can, they can run three guys out that you could trust in the playoffs. And so, okay. So Gordon, if they went out and got, you know, I keep saying, go get Joe Kelly. He's a perfect setup guy, not a closer, but as a setup guy, I would take a guy like Joe Kelly, uh, but they've got to get a left-handed arm in there as well. Would you bring in like a Joe Kelly and an Araldis Chapman? I was just going to go Those types of guys? Sure. Absolutely. You go as big as you can on this because you beyond that, you do have the pitching. I mean, the starting pitching out there is so scarce and the Cubs have put enough of it together. I mean, look, if you're going to drop a guy from the rotation in October anyway. So as long as these guys stay healthy, you can do what you want along the way. You've got a little bit of depth already. Wisniewski's depth, right? He's a sixth, sixth guy. And you got some other guys that might be coming that can give you a start or two here and there. You could, you give, and, and who knows what happens with Tyone. He's got a track record. You know, what if he finishes strong? Now, now you got a good problem. You bump a guy to the bullpen and so on, but you go big on the bullpen as far as I'm concerned, because that's going to keep you in every, every postseason game. And you've got enough, you've got enough to score. This isn't, you remember in 07, 08, when they get to the playoffs, um, 07 in particular, I think was, they played so well for four months to get in. And then all those strikeouts, those guys in the middle of the order, tons of strikeouts, maybe one hit, I think, Zambrano out hit the middle of the order because he doubled in a game. They don't have that kind of lineup right now. They have enough contact in the lineup to compete in October against good pitching to put the ball in play. And especially without the shift, that's bigger than ever. So concentrate, spend your resources on getting that bullpen right and then go get a third baseman or a hitter if it's there. That's how I would approach this. Okay, now I want to ask you, and you're going to laugh at me, and I'm ready for you. I stayed up last night. I watched the Cubs and the Phillies. I, I knew going in, the trip from Europe, a little flat, the way it ended, and I did not think they'd win last night. And they didn't. They got outpitched. They didn't do much offensively. Dude, dude, they got smoked. They did. No question. They lost on the pitching side. They lost on the offensive side. They were flat. Now they got to go out on Wednesday and find a way to win a damn baseball game. You get it? I mean, they were, you get it? But I stayed up and watched the White Sox and the Angels. And I watched a guy. It hasn't happened in almost 60 years. Two home runs, strikeout 10. Shohei Otani is the best baseball player I have ever seen and might be the best player in the history of the sport because he's doing it in Japan. He's doing it America against the best Latin players, the best black players, the best white players. Babe Ruth didn't have to face the best of the best. And I and Babe never pitched and hit with the exception of the 1918 season. This guy's doing it at an elite level in every aspect. And everything I hear is he's a wonderful guy to deal with in the clubhouse. They love him in there. There is no price that would be too expensive. So I'm going to ask you this question. It was posed on our radio show today. If they called you up, you're the GM of the Cubs, and they said, we've got an offer, $650 million over 10 years. He wants to be a Cub. 
You match that offer, we'll commit to you on the phone right now. Or you could say, I'm going to take my resources and get a $200 million guy and a 250 and a hundred and another fifth. What would you do? All right. Well, well, first I'm, you know, don't take the first offer. <laughs> I mean, if they're calling you, then he wants to play there. So don't just say, yeah. Um, second, I think, uh, I think you even said this on your radio show, um, that his priority is to go where he wants to play, not necessarily Correct. get the last dollar. Correct. So I'd come in at, look, if he wants to play there. I mean, I'm my, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sitting up in my chair on that one and, and, uh, getting serious. Uh, I'd come in at 500 and, and see where they, I mean, that's a record deal by a lot. And, and, you know, you don't typically see, especially nowadays, the record get beaten by leaps and bounds. You, you, there was a brief period in history about 15, 20 years ago when you saw that happen sometimes where you, you jump from this level all the way up to this level, you know, whether it was A-Rod or somebody else. We yeah, saw Albert Bell. We saw Ryan Sandberg, just two Chicago guys, by leaps and bounds, sign record deals. Like, like yeah, right. You don't see that anymore because of the way the front offices operate and the way the ownerships operate. So I'd come in at I'd come in at a record level, but not that high. I would certainly do it because whatever it, your only consideration is how you're going to manage the luxury tax threshold going forward. And maybe you'll just say, screw it, because uh of all the money you're going to make with him in your city, on your roster, in your uniform. Yeah. Um, so, so with that in mind, I mean, they can sell out Wrigley without him. So we're not talking about asses in the seats. We're, we're talking about merchandising and sponsorship deals and, and everything else that goes with having a superstar, uh, you, you know, around for years and years that, that's going to be a face of the franchise. So, they already make enough money to do it. They would make enough money to more than pay for a record deal. It, so it's just about how you're going to manage your roster going forward and knowing that there's, that it's going to be dead money on the books in X number of years. So if you watch the game last night, you see sponsors, by the way, by the way it's not happening cap. So, you know, you can forget it. Why do you say that? Because I think ultimately there will be a bidding war for him. And ultimately the Cubs won't have the appetite for the top price. And I think there's enough other places where he would, he would just as likely go. I mean, he's going to make a difference. If, if the Mets had him instead of Verlander, they're in first place right now, probably. Um, if, you know, you, you can say that about a number of teams, you know, if the Padres had him down the road, uh, instead of, you know, pick a, pick a guy, uh, you know, he's good. He's going to make that kind of a difference to a team. That's already all, all in Gordon. There is no scenario where if I was the owner and I had that kind of money, obviously that if my GM or my president, if Jed Hoyer walked into my office and said, okay, we're in there where he's very interested. It's going to take $600 million. We get to 600, we can get him. Do it because I'm watching the game last night and I'm seeing sponsors on the scrolling board behind home plate for Japanese companies, Japanese that don't even do business on a regular basis 
here because those games are watched in Japan by millions of people. Crazy ratings over there. You're telling me that there's no way to split the stream and send a different stream to Japan than I got here, and I'm selling an entirely different category of advertisers to Japanese companies every time he plays. You're talking about a, a risky asset under any circumstances when you're talking about signing an athlete to a long-term deal. When you're talking about a guy who's whose value is that he's a two-way player, then that means you're talking about a pitcher. You're talking about a power pitcher. That's the highest risk. You're So when you talk about a 10-year deal, he's as, as long as he's healthy, all of those things are in play. But, but what happens when you're making this business decision, when you're Tom Ricketts or when you're Jed Hoyer and you're getting in a room and you're in Crane Kenny and you're talking about, well, what will our revenues be and how will we pay for this? You're talking about what the risks are, too, what the downsides are. It's sure. one of the most this, – this has historically been, as, and from the time Theo got there, a risk-averse front office, and Jed probably more so than Theo. And it's definitely a risk-averse, financially risk-averse, ownership. We've seen it. The biblical losses slashing payroll when some other teams didn't do it and when they could have chosen and afforded not to. So I'm looking at the personalities involved, the the, the financial personalities involved and the risk averse personalities involved with this organization when I say it ain't going to happen. Yeah, I think they're going to be in there. Do I think they're getting them? Obviously, Steve Cohn could pull out his iPhone and go, yeah, Billy, the accountant, yeah, go to $700 million. I'll call you back. And if it has to go to $800 million, Steve Cohn doesn't care. And that's awesome if you're a Mets fan. You know, it, you should, if you're a Cubs fan and you and you hope that they're in, in a big way on Otani, you should love what's happening to the Mets right now because it's making Steve Cohn rethink everything. Right. And so and so he may not be he may not not care so much going forward when it comes to just he might say, you know what, this is stupid. Move some of this money out of here and let's build this thing the right way. Yeah. This didn't win it for me like it did, you know, Heisinga and the Marlins in whatever year that was. Ninety seven. Seven and. Um, the Diamondbacks with Colangelo went all in and won a team in 01. Um, it didn't it didn't work. It, it could have worked. I mean, the, the, the Padres spent a ton of money and, and, and got within a, a game or so of the World Series. And, and now, you know, they're they're struggling as well. But I mean, maybe the Mets get to the playoffs and make a bunch of noise. Maybe the Padres do. But they're not now for all that money, which, if nothing else, just shows you it's not automatic. Um, I still think you need to spend to win and sustain things. Um, and you need superstar players, but, uh, but to just spend stupid money and go a hundred million over the luxury tax threshold, just because you can, uh, it's silly. It, it, yeah. I mean, they didn't, they didn't do it maybe as smart as, as they could have. All right. Let's look at this NL central where we sit right now. Reds had a historic winning streak. Uh, they are playing good baseball. They don't have solid starting pitching that I think can carry yeah. them through a pennant race. They don't the have Card- anything close. Right. I watched the Cardinals this weekend. That's not a good baseball team. For whatever reason, it's not. The Brewers 
they're okay. Uh, the Pirates, they're going in the wrong direction. So as you look at July, August, September, three months of baseball, a trade deadline to go. If you're handicapping it right now, who's the favorite to win the division? Well, if none of the teams did anything, it would probably be the Cubs just because of the way they're pitching. Uh, they've got the best starting rotation in, in the National League right now, ERA-wise. They're better than the Braves. Now, the Braves have Max Fried on, on, the, on the IL right now, and, and they're patching together some things. But the Cubs have remained very healthy, and, and Hendricks came back and has been a success so far. And if he keeps that up, um, which he should if, as long as he's healthy, man, that, that, that's, that's what we talked about when the season started, right? If, they can, if the pitching can stay healthy and if Hendricks comes back, boy, that's huge. That's a key. So yeah, now if you look at if the, if the Cubs go out and get a couple of relievers at, for the back end of that bullpen, um, man, uh, they're going to be tough to stop. Now, that said, the Reds are going to get better because they're so freaking young. They have a chance for more ceiling. I'm not sure how aggressive they're going to be in the trade market. They've got enough payroll flexibility and enough player capital. They could probably go do whatever they want. Just talked to the general manager there on Tuesday, and uh, he said he's talked to every team in baseball, and nothing, you know, everybody's kind of wait and see right now, except for their, like, he has had some people come at him and, and ask for what he thinks is too much. He didn't say, but I mean, that could be there. They've got this top prospect down there. Who's a slug in first baseman hitting a ton of bombs. He's probably going to come up at some point this year. Um, Christian Encarnacion strand. Uh, they got him in a, in a trade. Uh, so they're not giving up him, but they've got a lot of redundancy in that farm system and a lot of good players. So if he wanted to get aggressive, he could, I don't know how aggressive he's going to get. Um, the other thing about the young players is all these rookies that they've got have never played 162 game season. And we know what happens in September a lot of times with players like that. So then you, then you look at the Brewers and that's the only other team to, to be afraid of if you're the Cubs and we, and I picked them, I picked the Brewers at the beginning of the season because of their pitching and that will keep them in it. If they do anything at the deadline or if they get a little healthier, yeah, with uh, I think Woodruff is still I think he's still out. Um, so if if he comes back, they could. We've seen it before, man. We saw it. In, we saw it in eighteen. Um, they those guys can. They got the best manager in the division, probably if not the league, and uh, they could get on a serious roll at some. Point. So if from watching this team, uh, you watch him, I watch him. You see the Reds. You see everybody. If the Cubs were to get into the postseason and they did add, let's assume it's a bat like Jamer Candelario, and let's assume it's a, a solid setup guy slash closer type, Araldis Chapman and a righty. They got two arms. Could they make a run? I'm not saying win the World Series. Could they become somebody's nightmare to face in the postseason? I think so. I mean, it's good. The Braves are the team to beat right now. And man, don't ever count the Dodgers out um, with, you know, Kershaw is pitching well. He's, he's an all-star again. Um, in my mind, I mean, he's got to be selected. Um, and uh, as if he's healthy down the stretch, that's a bona fide game. Once her, if, if your is ready to go, 
So they've, I mean, it's not, they could be a factor for sure. They have the kind of pitching that they could go into any series and, and go toe to toe for a couple of games with the front end of their rotation. And if you've got the back end help for the bullpen, and that's huge, it's gotta be somebody significant. I love the idea of a Roldis Chapman kind of recirculating. I, I've, I've mentioned him in, in the context of the Reds with the Cubs. I mean, either way, you know, it's kind of back to his, his, his old stomping grounds where, where he did something significant. And uh, I, I just love the idea of him going back to the central and making noise, something like that. Yeah. If you could, if you could keep, starting these games. I mean, Hendricks, my God, you know, uh, big game. He's starter. been outstanding. And, and we know what he does in October. Um, and, but if you can close, if you can hold a lead, cause you're not going to score a ton of runs. I mean, even if you go get Jamer Candelaria, even if you upgrade the lineup, there's not a lot of runs to be had typically in the postseason, And this lineup won't be the kind that's going to have that aberration of a game. Um, so you're going to, you're going to have to win with four runs, but they got the pitching to do it. I, the guys that I had mentioned before Jamer Candelaria, I got to give Jesse Rogers credit. He's the first one to bring that name up to me. I wanted to see if Toronto fell out of it over the next three weeks. Can I get Matt Chapman, a pending free, impending free agent? Could I get Matt Chapman from Toronto, outstanding defender, solid offensive player? Because that's the guy I think the Cubs have interest in, in the offseason as a free agent potential signee. And then the other name was Justin Turner. But unfortunately, looking at his contract, he's got a $14 million player option at age 39. The Cubs aren't taking that on. They could if they wanted to. I mean, if they felt that he was the player that they wanted, the Dodgers considered him their heart and soul of of those playoff teams when he was there they considered him a big part of them turning a corner and becoming a world series caliber team um if if the cubs viewed him through that lens and felt he could do enough for you on the field that he's going to help the lineup why wouldn't you take something like that on that's not enormous especially nowadays and 39 i mean it it becomes a one-year deal and as Jed is so fond of saying, there's almost no such thing as a bad one-year deal. True. That's true. You're getting him, and you're probably letting Bellinger walk anyway right. going into next season. So you're actually going from $17 million to $14 million. So you're actually tough. saving $3 million. That's definitely a way to look at it, for sure. Justin Turner, Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner, and Cody Bellinger, that's a pretty damn good deal. Well, it can be. I mean, you mentioned Turner's age, and there's a there's a reason he's not still with the Dodgers. So, so take that for what it's worth. Um, Matt Chapman, you like him? I do like him. I think that I think I, I think he fits what the Cubs are doing too. So, um, you know, with their their run prevention, um, yeah, that, those are nice ideas. We'll see if they happen. I mean, they're not the only team in those markets. No, absolutely not. But in the end, a lot of teams are going to be risk averse of taking on a lot of payroll. That's what I think. I don't think the Reds are ready to take on a lot of payroll, make a move here or there. I'm being told the Cubs feel like we can win this division and with that pitching, we can make a run. Now's the time. And the comment was made by someone up in the front office. Guess what? It's time to start winning. Enough.
Yeah, I should hope freaking so. Jesus Christ. Have you seen, I mean, when they, when they went to this second rebuild, the second tank, I mean, it was the ugliest, god awfulest, most despicable thing that we've seen. And the first one was friggin' despicable. So I should hope somebody stood up and say, hey, let's fucking t- try to win one of these one of these years and spend some damn money. But guess what? The first one had to happen. It was not despicable. You'll never convince me that. It because- had to happen because they had no freaking money. Because yeah. of the, the purchase price, uh, the, the leverage, the purchase of the team. That's one, but two, they had a bad organization. When Theo came in, he was told, you're going to have big market resources from the start. He had a meeting with his staff. The staff took it as I I talked to people in that room. So the way they remember, they were told from Theo is we're going to have unlimited resources to do what we want. He found out immediately within months that that wasn't true. He wanted to go after Darvish the first time around and couldn't. He put in a bid. He got swamped in that bid. He wanted uh, Ryu. Uh, he wanted uh, Cespedes. He wants, Cespedes. wanted uh, who's the kid that went to the Yankees? Uh, Tanaka. Tanaka. Yeah, but he knew it was. Yeah, right. By the time he went after Tanaka, he knew he wasn't going to get him. Um, he knew the Yankees, but there was a scheme and this all plays into exactly what i'm talking about when he went after tanaka he had cleared a bunch of payroll and so once he failed to get tanaka he took what the tanaka money was budgeted for and he went to the coo of the organization and said listen big market teams don't do this some small market teams do this i don't want i want to keep this money into next year i know because of uh, the bank covenants and uh, and our limitations that i'm not going to have full capacity of a big payroll next year but whatever my payroll is next year i want this money untouched that i can take into it and so they set it up basically a baseball ops piggy bank that crane's operation couldn't touch mm-hmm. so he took six million of it and paid for jason hamill and the rest of it kept to carry over that's how they were able to do john lester with a front-loaded deal that's how he was able to spend at all in that part of the process, because they were still under a lot of these these uh, financial stresses involved with the purchase of the team. These are the these are the realities. He wanted these. He Cespedes thought he was going to be a Cub. The friggin Oakland A's outbid him. That's how strapped they were because of the business side and, and what it took to buy that team at the time. So don't, don't give me that crap that that was all baseball decisions. It wasn't. They would not have tanked. It, 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 the other thing that happened was the rules changed in the draft. So it became a very strict penalty system if you overpaid in the draft. That's how they kept their system strong in Boston was by overpaying in the draft and telling Manford to go stick it up his ass. That Well, he couldn't do it in, in, anymore because they changed the rule. I guess it was Selig then but they couldn't do it anymore um, because now it was going to cost you draft position. So, so uh, they had to come up with something else. That's how they came up with the sign, a, sign a guy to a one-year deal and flip him at the deadline. They, they came up with the tanking process with, that, that would allow them to grow something within the rules. It was not because they came in and they, it, you know, the, the narrative was, Oh, you know, we inherited so little, we got nothing here that, that's bullshit. The farm system was better 
the farm system was better when they got there than when they left it, when Theo left it. Okay, so I won't disagree with some of what you're saying, but when I talked to Theo, he said, as we went through this thing, we went, we, we don't have much here. I know. I, I know. That's what they said, and that's what they believed until when they got rid of these guys, and in some cases just fucking threw them to the curb. They wound up playing in the big leagues in other places. Yeah, Even, like, Dan, like DJ LeMayhew. Like DJ LeMahieu is the classic example. That's my favorite example. But but even uh, I mean, even a guy like Ryan Flaherty wound up playing in the playoffs. I mean, they they pissed on everything that was there. It, it became sort of this easy, wide sort of judgment on the whole organization, rather than 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 really pick through the weeds. And you know, they, look, all that said. What a hell of a job putting that team together that they did, especially under the circumstances. So so um, it's not like I'm not sitting here just simply bad mouthing. I'm just trying to set the record straight on what why moves were made, why decisions were made um, and, and some of the other factors in play that you oftentimes leave out. Wow. All right, Gordon, I got to let you go. We've gone a half hour. <laughs> and by the way, take that. I keep telling you and everyone listening will back me up on this. If they could go back to 2021, there's not one dude they let walk that they'd sign again. Not one. And now we're talking about two different things. We can pick that up on the next show. Hey, by the way, I talked to Brandon Hyde. I'm in, I'm in Baltimore right now. I talked to Brandon Hyde the last couple of days. Uh, he loves the Cubs pitching staff he he likes what he sees in Chicago you know he stays in touch and pays attention so that that he said their Cubs are better than people think and he by the way he's he uh, says he'll come on the podcast with us next week so let's get him on I look forward to it I will talk to you next week you have a wonderful rest of your day take that